Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Adam Talks, a podcast that takes an alternative look at retirement. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of IRA Financial. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Adam Talks. I got a real special episode for you today. Today's topic is a tax attorney's take on Trump's tax returns. And really excited to share my research and my findings with you. I, um, like probably most of you, read the New York Times report on President Trump's uh, tax return and how little tax he paid. So I wanted to take an objective approach as a tax attorney and look at some of what was reported and then really discuss what the law is based off real estate investors, pass-through losses, at-risk rules, deductions, 1031s, and basically look at what was reported and dug around and try to learn as much as I could on how the Trump organization was structured so I could potentially provide some insight as to uh, why the returns uh, were reported the way they were. So um, before I get started, just want to make an announcement. Um, This is a bipartisan podcast. Um, This is not pro-Trump, anti-Trump. I am a tax lawyer. Just to give you my background, if you aren't familiar with my podcast, uh, I am the founder and CEO of IRA Financial, but before founding IRA Financial 11 years ago, I was a tax attorney in New York City, worked at some of the largest law firms in the country um, in the tax department. I have a law degree. I also have a master's of taxation from NYU and focused most of my practice when I was a full-time attorney on pass-through taxation. So taxation of hedge funds, private equity funds, and real estate funds. And most of my clients were super high net worth like President Trump. So I think I have a good background and foundation, and I do hope I can provide an objective analysis and viewpoint as to what was reported by the New York Times. So. Let's dive right into this. So I'm going to summarize what Sunday's New York Times reported. Uh, President Trump, just to get his take, he called it totally fake. His attorney for the Trump organization said the Times report was most, if not all, the facts appear to be inaccurate. And as for the documents on which the reporting was based, uh, which the Times declined to provide. Um, since entering the White House, Mr. Trump's basically been the first president in a number of years, which uh, has refused to release his tax returns. And again, just to be clear, there's no legal requirement for any president to release tax returns. It's just been a custom and a practice that um, past presidents have done. So here's a recap of what Times reported. And again, President Trump has not officially released his tax returns. So this was all uh, based off, I guess, some... um, inside uh, information or access to some of K-1s or some of the the actual return that was filed with the IRS. So according to the newspaper, Mr. Trump initially paid $95 million in taxes over the 18 years it studied 
but he managed to recover most of that money by claiming and receiving a $72.9 million federal tax refund. And according to the Times, Mr. Trump also pocketed $21.2 million in state and local refunds. And these are typically based on federal filings. President Trump's outsized refund uh, became the subject of a now long-standing IRS audit. As a result of the refund, Mr. Trump paid an annual average of $1.4 million in federal taxes from 2000 to 2017. By contrast, the average U.S. taxpayer, the top 0.001% of earners paid $25 million annually over the same time frame. Um, the New York Times reported that some of Mr. Trump's deductions were aggressive from his homes, his aircraft, $70,000 in hairstyling during his television show, The Apprentice. Um, the report also said Trump capitalized on costs incurred from his business to finance a luxurious lifestyle. Yeah, the report also went on to say that not all his businesses were successful. Mr. Trump reported and claimed $315 million in losses since 2000 you know, on his golf courses. Uh, also, they reported he paid family members consulting fees. Uh, he wrote off about $26 million in unexplained consulting fees. Um, so Mr. Trump seems sure to face heavy financial pressures from the enormous pile of debt he absorbed. The Times said the president appears to be responsible for about $421 million in loans, most of which will come due in four years. On top of that, $100 million mortgage on the Trump Tower, uh, which they claim a good chunk of this is personally guaranteed. Um, again, the headlines from this report is that Donald Trump paid just $750 in federal income tax the year he entered the White House. And basically, the report, again, is focusing on deductions, losses, which were used to offset revenues from his business. So again, just want to be crystal clear. This is a bipartisan podcast. I'm coming at this as a tax attorney. So you may think it's biased because tax attorneys will look at the tax code and analyze what the tax code said. And you will see that a lot of what President Trump did is actually stated legally in the tax code. So that is just something you're going to have to accept. It's, again, not a pro-Trump, anti-Trump uh, fact. It's just what the tax code says. And, and I'm going to get into all that in a minute. But uh, just wanted to make that super clear. Um, I'm not telling anyone that what Trump did was right or wrong. I don't know all the facts. It's very hard to gather facts. Hardly anything is publicly available. In fact, it's not even clear if the Trump organization is an S-corp. I've dug around, Googled around, spoke to a bunch of people. It's a corporation. We don't even know if he filed an S-election. Um, what we do know is that it seems that um, the Trump org has interests in many different, if not hundreds, of different types of entities which Donald Trump or a family member as a sole or principal owner. So about 250 of these entities use the Trump name. The organization was founded in 1923 by Trump's grandmother and father, Fred Trump. Um, and it's, it's um, basically focused you know, on real estate related activities. But again, it's not even clear if it's an S-corp. Um, and we'll, we'll go into to, to basically see uh, the reasons why it matters. But it seems the way these transactions are structured is that the Trump org and Trump would go in as partners on a bunch of deals 
and then the gains and losses would flow through to the, either the Trump Organization tax return or to President Trump's 1040 tax return, which is the individual tax return, if the investments were passed through, which it seems that most of the entities Trump invested in were, at least recently, pass-through entities like LLCs. Um, so before I get into a breakdown of how losses are allocated, recourse versus non-recourse and, and deductions and um, trying to show what the tax code states about real estate losses and how they pass through, I want to just make a point. And the point is the tax code is not fair. Tax code does not tax everyone the same, just the way it is. Um, individuals, corporations, trusts, charities, they're taxed differently. LeBron James is taxed differently than Elon Musk, right? LeBron James is a W-2 employee. He gets most, a bunch of his income from playing basketball. And he gets a salary from the Lakers, whereas Elon Musk is a CEO and gets a salary but makes most of his money on the sale of stock. So Elon Musk's tax return is going to look a lot different than LeBron James. Just like a professor, tax returns will look a lot different than a sole proprietor or business owner. Professor, most of their income will probably be W-2 from teaching, whereas a small business will be a Schedule C. Just like a CEO of a public company will have a different tax return than a real estate investor. The CEO, again, will have a lot of W-2 and some capital gains, and the real estate investor could have 1065, an 1120S if it's an S-corp, and a Schedule C on a 1040. So everyone is not equal under the code. Different deductions apply differently to different taxpayers. For example, why does selling a stock merit a different tax rate than working for McDonald's? One's ordinary income, one's capital gains. Why? There's a lot of these anomalies in the tax code that really don't seem to make a lot of sense, but taxes different income differently. Just like deductions. Why are certain deductions allowed versus not? Okay, so that's an important point. Um, when people hire tax lawyers and accountants to minimize their tax, that's what a good tax attorney and CPA will do, is they'll look at the tax code and look for legal ways to minimize or reduce taxes. And I'm just going to repeat a quote here from a very, very important Supreme Court case called Gregory v. Helvering. And basically, this case was a 1935 Supreme Court case and it defined permissible tax avoidance as actions that reduce, avoid, minimize, or alleviate taxes through wholly legitimate means. The court elaborated that the legal right of a taxpayer to decrease the amount of what is otherwise would be his taxes or altogether avoid them by means which the law permits cannot be doubted. Okay, thus to quote Judge Leonard Hand, says, we may arrange our affairs so that our taxes shall be as low as possible. We are not bound to choose that pattern which best pays the treasury. We do not even have a patriotic duty to increase taxes. Okay, by contract, tax evasion involves tax avoidance that is ordinarily accomplished via an element of deceit or concealment. And at times, patently and illegal means. So tax invasion involves an illegal means, whereas tax avoidance is using what's legal in order to minimize or reduce your taxes. Okay, and that's a big distinction. So I, I just wanted to make this clear. This is not a new phenomenon. 
This Supreme Court case, Gregory v. Halvorin, which is one of the most famous tax Supreme Court cases, was in 1935. Okay, so basically for the last 90 or so years, people have been trying to reduce their taxes. Now, W-2 employees, someone who works at Irie Financial or, or Burger King or as a professor, will have less means to reduce taxes than someone who has a business that generates deductions. Okay, that's just the bottom line. Those are the facts. And we, we need to understand them and also accept them that President Trump, Adam Bergman, John Doe does not have any obligation to pay as much tax as the Treasury believes are entitled to. They have every right to find a way legally to minimize, alleviate, or reduce taxes. Okay, so that's an important distinction. There is no, President Trump is under no obligation, past or present, to pay as much tax as possible. Okay, and the Supreme Court case is clear. He has every right to work with his advisors to find a legal way to minimize taxes. Um, and that's what good business people do. And that's why tax attorneys go to law school. That's why they learn. That's why they're paid a lot of money is to give their clients a legal way to either structure an investment or reduce their tax liability. So let's just for a second talk about the difference between a corporation and a pass-through entity because this is important to understand how losses get passed through. So a C-corporation like Apple, 99% uh, of all public companies are C-corps. Think of a C-corp as an entity that has two layers of tax. An entity level, which now pays 21%, and a shareholder level, which will pay tax on income at their ordinary income tax rate or dividends at a dividend tax rate of 15%. Now, if you compare that to a partnership LLC or S-corp, flow-through entities like a partnership LLC or S-corp do not pay entity-level taxes. That means there is no entity-level federal tax. The only tax is paid is at the shareholder or member level. So for example, a C-corporation that generates $100 of net profits will pay 21% tax, okay? And then whatever's left could be dividend back to the shareholder, and then that shareholder will pay income tax on that amount. Whereas if a partnership, LLC, or S-corp generated $100 of net net profit, all $100 could be flowed through back to the member or owner or shareholder, and then that party, person, would pay tax on that amount. So there would not be that 21% entity-level tax. Okay, that's an important distinction. And there is no requirement that businesses choose a C-Corp and pay more tax. It's up to the individual business owner to decide how they wish to be taxed, right? Is there a reason why an S-Corp election exists, right? This is another point as to how a, the tax code taxes different people, parties, persons, entities differently for no apparent reason, okay? It's just the way the code is structured and it's the way it's been developed. It's not a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. It's just the way laws get passed. And senators, congressmen come up with ideas, either through lobbyists or through their own committees, and then they hope to get laws entrenched into the tax code that change the way things are taxed. And this happens every year, okay? This is not something that just happened in the past. This is a fluid, um, type of 
process that uh, will continue to evolve. So this is not something new, and this is something that basically is very characteristic of the tax code. Okay, so now that we see the difference between corporations and LLCs and partnerships and S-Corps, let's talk about deductions real quick. Deductions are what you could reduce your taxable income by. So if you're a real estate investor, it would be property tax, property insurance, mortgage interest, property management fees. If you're a business, it would be your rent, your salaries, cost of goods sold. That would reduce your taxable income, right? Deductions are good because they reduce the amount of tax you have to pay, which is our goal, right? And I keep, I want to stress that. As a tax attorney, my job is to either structure a very tax efficient investment or to reduce my client's taxes. I'm not going to be paid to increase taxes. I'm not going to be paid to keep taxes the same. That is why tax lawyers exist, is to help clients analyze what is legal under the tax code and to best structure or facilitate an investment or business that satisfies those rules. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with that, as Gregory V. Halverin suggests. Depreciation, obviously, is another important deduction for real estate investors, which would give you either a 27.5 or 39 year for residentials, where you can depreciate and generate deductions from real estate, okay? Um, let's talk about how you generate losses, right? So overall rule is if you have no basis, okay, in an entity, you can't take losses. So your losses can be as much as your basis. And basis basically means what you've put into this investment. Generally, it's cash, right? If you put $100 in cash, that's your basis in the investment. And generally, you can't take more than $100 of losses, right? If you invest $100 in a business, you can't generate $20,000 of losses. Maybe before 1986, you could, but the tax shelter uh, rules uh, were changing the code to basically prevent that from happening. So there's at-risk rules, there's past activity losses under 465 and 469, which we can talk about in a minute. But generally, you can't, you can't take losses above your basis, okay? So cash is one way to increase basis. Another is debt, right? And clearly with President Trump, debt is a very important um, strategy in his, in his business, in his investments. He's talked about this, about using other people's money, right? It's very important in, in how he structures deals. Now, debt can be recourse or non-recourse. Recourse means you personally have to pay it back. You're personally signing for it. And non-recourse means you do not have to personally pay it back. Basically, the lender can only take the underlying asset as collateral if there is a non-payment. Okay, so depending on who you are and the type of investment and the type of uh, environment we're in, um, that will depend whether your loan is recourse or non-recourse. Section 704C, um, without getting into too much detail, talks about how a member can, can allocate losses in an LLC or partnership. And basically, as I mentioned, your basis increased by positive basis adjustments like cash, property contributions, income from operations, and then it's decreased by distributions and obviously losses, okay? So that is important because if you put in $100, again, of cash, you can only lose, take losses of $100. If you put in $100 of cash, but have $100 million of debt, okay, that you have been able to allocate to your LLC, 
now you can take a whole lot of deductions, right? Because now you can take $100 plus your allocable share of that debt under the 704 basis rules. So now that has allowed you to increase your basis. And as you increase your basis, you can take more losses, okay? And there's very important tax law cases that are clear that from a recourse and non-recourse LLC standpoint, um, you get basis for debt, okay? Crane is a very important case that's clear in its presentation that you get debt, you get basis, excuse me, for non-recourse debt. So again, someone might say, well, it doesn't make sense. If you're not personally guaranteeing the loan, why should you get basis for it, right? You're not on the hook if you don't pay it. But the tax, the courts are clear that you do get basis for it, okay? So if you are able to get a non-recourse loan and you have an interest in LLC, the Crane and Tufts case, which is another porn case, will give you basis for it, okay? So again, that's something clearly that Mr. Trump and millions of real estate investors do. They use debt to buy real estate. And by using that debt, whether it's recourse or non-recourse, they're increasing their basis and thus increasing their ability to allocate themselves losses, right? And section 752 is basically the loss provision in terms of allocating, um, allocating losses based off um, a loan and the recourse and non-recourse nature of the debt. So 752 basically says that members share liabilities in the same proportion as they, which they bear economic risk or loss. Basically, if you own 20% of an LLC, you're going to get 20% of the losses. And the same apply um, to non-recourse loans. If a member's payment obligation is limited to the value of certain property, for example, a basis from that obligation is limited to the net fair market value of the property. So you're limited, again, to the non-recourse debt uh, of uh, what the um, underlying LLC assets have accumulated. Okay, so that's an important point. So it's clear from the New York Times article that there is non-recourse debt, but President Trump also has some personal guaranteed debt, which I'm going to get into the S-Corp rules in a minute to talk about why that may have been necessary or just may have been required by Deutsche Bank or some of the other banks he, he banked with um, requiring a personal guarantee, depending on the type of equity or cash he put into these deals. So Section 752 is a very important section because it talks about um, getting basis for debt. Um, and again, non-recourse liabilities are clear. It can provide basis for distributions um, and debt, um, assuming you um, satisfy the at-risk rules. And the at-risk rules under Section 465 generally only apply, um, th there's workarounds for individual real estate investors, spe specifically real estate investors that are involved or investing in active trader businesses, like President Trump probably was. So the at-risk rules could minimize or reduce the amount of debt that you can use to as losses to reduce your taxable income. But what probably occurred is because President Trump was investing in, in active businesses like hotels or casinos or golf uh, courses, he would not be subject to these at-risk rules and thus would be able to take the losses from some of these investments. So again, what could have happened is he maybe have had Trump organization own 1% and then he came in as a 99% investor. He borrowed the money 
um, either personally or non-guaranteed it as a non-recourse loan, increase the basis of the LLC. He owns 99%. The Trump Corp owns only 1%. He gets the basis of 99%, gets the write-off, all the depreciation, all the deductions, all, all the, the losses that stem through from an investment, which flows onto his tax return and reduces his taxable income from other activities. And that's normal. And, and even really, really amazing, strong real estate investors, the real estate projects will generate losses up front. Why? Because tr there's tons of expenses. There's the, pay the mortgage payments. There's the expenses to build the property, depreciation, um, other uh, improvements. So in most real estate investments, you're going to see losses up front and then ultimately uh, gains uh, down the road whether they're recognized as a capital gains or maybe a 1031 exchange where you'll actually defer the gains. So that's kind of the real estate playbook. Mr. Trump played it like any other real estate investor would. Um, it's the same way, you know, LeBron James and James Harden play basketball. This is the playbook. You use a lot of debt, you increase your basis, you generate um, deductions from the real estate activity. They come through and they wash out any other income or income from the activity you have. And then ultimately you end up generating your gains from either a capital gain sale, a refinancing of the loan or a 1031 where you defer the gains and are able to buy you know, another property. So that's the real estate playbook. Okay. Let's, before I jump into, um, you know, some of my, my concluding thoughts, I just wanted to talk about deductions. Okay. The New York times article also talked about deductions. So businesses are allowed to take deductions, right? You just can't deduct personal living or family expenses, but if your expenses for something that is used partly for business and partly for personal purposes, you technically can divide the total costs of the business and personal parts and then allocate them um, accordingly. Okay. So let's just talk about clothing, for example. So it's pretty clear that you can't expense clothing unless it's very related to job specific apparel, like you need um, a certain um, outfit to uh, work in a power plant or you need a hazmat suit to, to have your job. You can expense the cost of that. Okay. Like cosmetic surgery, claiming the cost of cosmetic surgery as a deduction uh, is basically always uh, not a good idea, but there's examples like an exotic dancer was able to claim the cost of a breast augmentation on the grounds her surgery was a requirement for employment. Body enhancements. The IRS doesn't allow anyone to deduct the cost of simply staying healthy, but they will allow certain professionals to deduct expenses related to their personal appearance, you know, i.e. we'll get to President Trump. Uh, bodybuilders can deduct the cost of body oils, okay? Makeup, same with makeup. If you need it for your job, it's deductible. Hair, what about hair? We all know that President Trump loves his hair. And New York Times reported that he spent $70,000 and got, excuse me, 70000 on deductions for his hair. But guess what? The IRS is clear, like makeup costs, hair care expenses can qualify as a tax deduction when they are specifically for work-related photo shoots or shows. Now, if these deductions related to The Apprentice, they were probably legitimate business expenses. If he took these expenses once the show was over and he had no reason and no business reason to pay and have his hair done, um, then the expenses probably uh, were not allowable. 
So again, it's a lot of its facts and circumstances. You have to look, the, the New York Times reports over an 18 year period. Um, and clearly he was on TV and whether it's makeup or hair, he probably did have the right to generate deductions from those expenses. Um, the one other thing I wanna mention is that losses, when losses flow through either through deductions um, or through uh, expenses, uh, improvements to the real estate or whatever other losses that flow through, you generally have the ability to go back two years, which President Trump did obviously to seek a refund or go forward 20 years. So it's a two and 20 year rule. So generally what he probably did is he probably had a year where he had tons of losses um, because he had debt, which increased his basis. And then he had probably tons of losses from the real estate uh, development or the real estate project, whatever it is, um, deduction, depreciation, uh, improvements, uh, cost of mortgage financing, whatever it was, uh, most of these real estate projects generate huge amounts of losses up front. So what he probably did is he did an amended return for the prior two years, and that's where he got his refund and claims that uh, federal and state, which he's allowed to do. If the losses are legitimate, the law gives him the ability to go back two years and claim a refund. And you're going to see a lot of people doing that this year with COVID. Businesses are going to have, good businesses are going to have losses. And guess what? They're going to be able to go back two years and amend their tax returns to get more money. Either they'll use it to offset future income, uh, go forward, or they'll go back and try to get a refund, which uh, President Trump did. Um, and that's, again, not illegal. And again, the IRS will, will either assumingly contest it or not. Same with the state. And then that will be up to them to determine if the deductions that generated the losses were legitimate or not. But he had every right to seek a refund if he did so you know, using these NOL rules. That's the law. Okay. And again, this is in the tax code. This is not a Democrat or Republican thing. This is the way the code is written. Um, it's provisions on provisions and regulations on regulations that were brought to Congress to pass and the president to sign by Democratic and Republican administrations for the last 80 or 90 years. Okay. So this is something that applies to everyone, whether you're a Democrat or Republican and independent, any good business owner, or real estate investor will do what Gregory V. Halvering allows them to do and do whatever is legal to reduce, avoid, minimize, or alleviate taxes um, by any legitimate means. They have every right to do so. Just like you have a, a right to vote, you also have a right technically to not pay uh, the maximum amount of taxes. Okay, and that's a Supreme Court case. So yes, this is coming at you from a tax attorney. And I think I'm in a good position to provide you some clarity on this because I really am, uh, I think, objective. Uh, I am bipartisan, I'm independent, you can check. I'm not registered as a Republican or Democrat. Um, I'm a tax attorney, uh, I do believe in the code, and I do believe in our right to use the tax code, not to evade taxes, but to reduce or minimize. And this is not a pro or anti-Trump thing, but President Trump did not figure this out on his own. I can tell you that. These are very, very complex rules. Just understanding the, the application of the 465 at-risk rules takes time. You have to go through the code, the regulations. Trust me, President Trump's not figuring this out on his own. Not that he's not smart, it's just not something he's gonna do. He's advised by very, very intelligent and wise attorneys, accountants, who are helping him 
reduce and minimize taxes, which he's legally entitled to do. Okay, so I don't know why he didn't ever agree to um, provide his tax returns publicly and make them publicly available. Um, if he didn't take any egregious deductions and they were all legal, which based off what the New York Times reports, I don't know, could or cannot be true. I, I have no way of knowing. There's it's very scant on details. There's not a lot of uh, meat to it. Um, example, the, the hair, hair deductions. I mean, it's all facts and circumstances. If he did it while he was doing The Apprentice, it's legit. If he did it before or after The Apprentice, probably not legit. You can pay your kids, right? Very, very clear. He can pay his kids for legitimate services. Not a gift, but he can pay his kids. If Ivanka Trump is doing work for the Trump organization, he has every right to pay her. Okay, that is not something that um, is you know aggressive at all. Um, many many businesses pay their kids to work. Okay, and this was not a W two. It seemed like a ten ninety nine because she has other stuff she does. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so again, it's very fact and circumstances heavy. It's very hard to understand how some of these losses were generated without knowing the facts. Again, but the at risk rules probably didn't apply to, to Trump because I assume the investments were probably active. And then it comes down to, hey, he got basis in the LLCs, um, whether he, he um, personally guaranteed them or not. So he had the basis, if the losses were legitimate from um, operational um, results, then technically he had every right to um, use those losses to reduce his income and go back two or forward 20 years under the NL rules. One other thing I wanna mention is, um, S-Corps. Okay, S-Corps have slightly different rules than LLCs when it comes to non-recourse debt. When it comes to an S-Corporation getting basis, so for an S-Corp shareholder to get basis in the S-Corp stock, you generally have to personally guarantee the loan or you have to loan the money personally to the S-Corp. So if the S-Corp gets a loan, okay, and you're not personally on the hook for it, it's a non-recourse loan, and the S-Corp got it, you're not going to get basis for it. Whereas if you personally got the loan and then lent it or, or contributed it to the S-Corp, you would get basis for it. So that potentially is one reason that President Trump has a lot of personal debt out there because he may have said, okay, I'll personally guarantee it. I'll use that to dump in my S-Corp. I'll get basis in the S-Corp stock and I'll be able to use losses to shelter income. And then I'll use some of uh, the income from these investments to pay off the personal debt. Now, that's just an, uh, an assumption. I'm not sure. I don't have the facts. Um, that or the banks basically at some point said, you are too leveraged. You need to personally guarantee some of this stuff. Um, that's possible as well. I don't know. Um, but I can tell you it's, it's rare for a real estate investor to have like $400 million of personal debt. Um, so I, there's got to be a different reason why. And, and maybe it is to get basis in the S-Corp. So he can generate losses, which again, there's nothing wrong with. Okay, it sounds, I know to, to the to the layperson, it sounds egregious that you're only paying $750 in taxes um, in 2016. But honestly, this is not atypical of real estate investors. Good real estate investors, large real estate investors, Democrats, independents, Republicans will have tax returns for many, many, many years with no tax due. I, I know that, I've seen them, okay? People that I know are super wealthy, if not billionaires, um, have tax returns where they have very low income. Why? Because they don't take W-2 income to a high degree. 
Most of their income is from capital gains, which they will pay some tax on. Um, and there are tons of losses that flow through, whether it's capital losses uh, or ordinary business losses that flow through to reduce income. Okay, that's just a fact. That's how the tax code's set up. And again, I'll go back to my LeBron James versus you know, Warren Buffett or Elon Musk. Not all taxpayers are taxed the same. If LeBron James makes a million dollars and Elon Musk makes a million dollars, but Elon Musk makes his million dollars from capital gains and LeBron James makes it from a W-2 salary from the Lakers, they're going to get taxed differently. Even though they both earned a million dollars, they're going to be taxed differently. Just like a professor earns $100,000 from Harvard, he or she may be taxed differently than a business owner that generated $100,000 of profits in a business, okay? Um, or $100,000 of gross revenue in a business because that sole proprietor maybe could avail him or herself of other deductions to reduce that taxable income. So there's different ways to play the game. Um, you just have to know how to play it. And it's not something to be ashamed of. Um, I don't think paying $750 in taxes, honestly, and th this may come out wrong, but it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be proud of. It's just using the tax code to your advantage. And I would hope everyone would do that. Just like a teacher or just like a factory worker or just like a mechanic or real estate agent will go to H&R Block or will go to TurboTax and figure out what deductions are available the same way President Trump or Elon Musk or LeBron James or Warren Buffett have the same right. Now, obviously, the numbers are different because the revenues and losses are different, but the same principles apply. Do Democrats or a progressive left say, you know what? Nah, I don't want to take the charitable deduction this year. It's not fair. I should pay more tax. Or, you know, that, that standard credit, yeah, I don't really need that six or 7,000 bucks this year. Nah, I'll do without it. No, you file your taxes and you take what you owed. Okay, and going back to Gregory V. Hellring, that's the way the system works. You don't have to pay the maximum amount. You pay what you are required by using legitimate means to reduce, avoid, or minimize taxes, okay? And whether you're taking charitable deductions or you are contributing to an IRA or 401k and getting a tax deduction or using a Roth and generating tax-free growth, that's your choice. Just like President Trump's choice was to use a pass-through entity versus a corporation. And again, he did what the code allowed him to do. If the at-risk rules under 465 or the passive activity loss rules under 469 applied, he would not be able to take advantage of these losses. Again, not every real estate investor can. If you're investing in passive activities, you're going to be limited. Uh, even though you can leverage up your asset, you may not be able to take all the losses because of the at-risk and passive activity losses. In President Trump's cases, it seems like he's investing in active businesses, which allows those losses to flow through, which allowed him to go back and amend his return under the NOL rules. Now, who's to say he shouldn't use the NOL rules? They're in the tax code. It's there, section 482, it's there. He's allowed to use it. Why shouldn't he? Okay, so again, this is not a pro or anti-Trump thing. Uh, I would do the same podcast if we were talking about LeBron James or President Obama or Joe Biden uh, or John Doe, okay? It's all about using the tax code to your advantage based off your taxpayer circumstances, okay? And, and that's an important fact. 
If I was President Trump, I, I would have released it. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with releasing a tax return showing you use the tax code to your advantage. Again, some of these provisions, they're not Republican-based provisions, okay? Um, Democrats were in power. They did pass tax-favorable investor business provisions. So I don't think any, there's anything particularly wrong. As long as the deductions are legitimate, the losses are legitimate, there's nothing wrong with what he did, okay? Assuming, again, that based off the Gregory v. Halbrain principles, that these were legitimate, permissible tax avoidance um, strategies to reduce, avoid, or minimize tax. Tax evasion is very different, obviously. That's illegal. But there's a huge and important distinction between permissible tax avoidance. And that is a very important point. And that's a point that we all need to recognize. And we all do, whether we use TurboTax or H&R Block or, or use Ernst & Young or BDO or, or big accounting firms, it's the same principles. The tax software, your tax accountant, your tax lawyer will do whatever he or she can to reduce your taxes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Whether you're a progressive left, you're in the middle, you're on the far right, it's all of our rights to do that. If you want to pay more tax, you can do that as well. No one's stopping you, but you don't have to. And President Trump would not be as fortunate in terms of this loss if he was a opera singer, okay? Or even if he was a CEO of a publicly traded company, he'd probably be paying a lot of capital gains tax. He'd probably take a dollar salary, um, pay no W-2 tax, and then pay 15% long-term capital gains. And his tax return would look a lot simpler than it is today. Um, just why? He's in a, a different tax um, category, a different tax status based off how he generates income. Real estate developers have very complex tax returns. What you're seeing from President Trump is not atypical. I'm I've seen it from real estate investors. It is normal to have situations where there could be a 5, 7, 10, 15 year period where that individual will not pay any taxes. That's not to say they won't in the future and make up for some of the losses, but this is very typical. And then the last kind of cherry on top is this whole 1031 exchange, which is another way that real estate investors can keep deferring taxes where you can basically find a replacement property and then switch out the properties and keep deferring the tax. Um, and that's, again, legal in the tax code. Um, people use it, uh, again, on both sides of the aisle um, and it's um, what is allowed. So. Real estate investors do have a number of, of strategies at their disposal that W-2 employees uh, or W-2 uh, income earners do not have, just like business owners have certain advantages when it comes to generating deductions and losses that W-2 employees do not have. And that's just the way the code is designed and developed. If you want a fair system, then maybe a flat tax is fair, right? Everyone pays X percent on all their income, whether and all their gains, whether you're selling a house, there's no deductions for property, mortgage deductions, there's no depreciation, there's no charity, there's no deductions for anything. Everyone pays X percent on your income. But a lot of progressives say that's not fair either because lower income people will pay more tax proportionally on their income than richer people because they consume more than richer people. So nothing's fair. The system is what it is. Yes, would it be great to have a system where there's no tax and no deductions, so President Trump would have no losses but also no income? 
Sure, but we need treasury, needs revenue, we need to pay for uh, our infrastructure and our military and our roads and, and all the important things that make America uh, so wonderful. So there you have it. This is hopefully an objective view from a tax returner, tax attorney on Trump's tax returns. Uh, I hope you um, can appreciate some of the difficulty whenever you mention um, President Trump or Biden. Um, we're in a very partisan world and society. Um, it's very difficult to talk about these topics. I'm sure uh, some people are listening um, are not going to appreciate what I'm saying on both sides of the aisle. But the fact is, if the deductions and losses are legitimate, uh, which I'm not sure if they are, again, I don't, I don't have much uh, more than what was reported by the New York Times, then the losses and the amended returns to generate refunds are legitimate. If the deductions and losses aren't, then you have a different story. And that's for the IRS to decide, uh, not for, for, for us to decide. So um, again, I hope you found this podcast interesting. I will update um, all you listeners as soon as more information is provided. It's very tough. Again, I'm sorry. I wish I had more details. I spent days once um, the Times article came out. I spent days literally researching the stuff, uh, and it's, it's so sparse. I couldn't even find, again, if the Trump org is an S-Corp, right, or a C-Corp. Like, it, it's really uh, unbelievable. Since they're private companies, it's very hard to find any information, and clearly President Trump is very protective of his financial and tax information. So it's super hard to determine, and he's got interests in 500-plus in entities, and who knows what the ownership is. Um, so probably there's only a couple people in the Trump organization that actually have a whole map of, of how all this is playing out. But um, again, I, th I enjoyed researching this. Um, it's important to understand, even if you don't really care about Trump or Biden, it's interesting, I think, to learn how you get basis for non-recourse or recourse loans. I think it's important to understand depreciation deductions. It's also important to understand business deductions and fairly important to understand difference between you know, corporations and flow-throughs and how they can uh, generate uh, income or losses and, and how they're taxed. But I think the most interesting thing of all this is the Gregory V. Halvorin um, quote from 1935, Supreme Court case, where it says clearly that permissible tax avoidance is actions that reduce, avoid, minimize, or alleviate taxes through wholly legitimate means the court elaborated that the legal right of a taxpayer to decrease the amount of what otherwise would be his taxes or altogether avoid them by means which the law permits cannot be doubted. Okay, and that's how I want to end this. Um, we all have a right to minimize our taxes, whether we're the President of the United States uh, or a janitor at a school. Um, we have different means to do that, and, and obviously the scope of the ability to do so varies but the right is um, entrenched um, and applies to all of us. So I think it'd be interesting if you keep that in your mind, um, be objective, think, um, you know, before just jumping on partisan lines, whether something's right or wrong. Um, and that's what I tried to do today is give a tax attorney's uh, view uh, by sharing all the facts I, that I have and some of the tax laws that can hopefully shed a little bit more light and give you a little bit more clarity and some more talking points when you're thinking about this and chatting with family or friends 
about what it means to uh, pay little or no taxes as a real estate investor. Adam Bergman, I hope you found uh, this podcast uh, interesting, insightful. Please subscribe if you haven't already. It's a weekly podcast that gives you insights, views on uh, important retirement tax investment um, topics and and gives an alternative take. Um, Stay safe, be healthy, and I will talk to everyone next week. Thank you.